are in a series called Gideon, and we're talking about this um, story in the Old Testament in Judges chapters 6, 7, and 8. And uh, it's about this guy who, uh, what had happened was Israel was told specifically by God not to follow other gods. Now, again, just so you knew, if you're new to the Bible or new to Christianity or new to whatever, oftentimes it can feel like religion or the Bible or all that is just kind of like a ru rules of don't do this and do this, right? And you're correct, <laughs> right? Just like your mom and dad seem to be like, don't do this and do this because your parents love you and you have a heavenly father that loves you and tries to write down through different authors from different time periods uh, because he designed, you know, he has the operating manual for your life. He uh, says, look, if you do this, it's going to go bad for you, so don't do that, right? And if you do this, it's going to go good for you, so do that. Much like a loving parent would do, that's what your heavenly father does. And so that's what God did to the nation of Israel because the design was that Israel was going to be God's people and God was going to be their God. And so he said, look, if you, if you follow the gods of the Amorites, it's not going to go well for you. Don't do that. It's not good for your families. It's not good for the land. It's not good for relationships. It's not good for anything. Their gods are lame, basically, is the Hebrew. And, um, and so you don't want to follow lame gods. You want to follow the one and true God. And so, but they do it anyway. And so God punishes them like a, like a father or mother would do to their kids. And so it says, look, the, the Midianites are going to come. You want, you want that culture? Go ahead. Here's what happens in that culture. They're selfish, and they just look after themselves, and they have a very limited view of humanity. And so the Midianites would come and ravage them every year when the crops were being pulled. And, uh, and they'd come, and they'd, if they didn't steal the herds, they'd, 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 they'd kill the herds. And so uh, Israel cried out to God, and uh, this, happened, this went on for seven years. Israel cried out to God, and God sent a messenger and said, uh, Hey, you remember Egypt? Okay, that's your God. That's the God you're going to be serving. And so they, you know, whatever, this messenger went around. And uh, so then we catch up to this guy, Gideon. And Gideon is in a wine press uh, sifting wheat. So he's hiding, and he's got his wheat, and he's throwing it up, and the chaff goes and then gives him his wheat. And, and he's got this system of, of, of being hidden because he's scared. He's scared of what's, what's coming, and he wants to keep what's his. And this is what happens when we get isolated and we get scared. We want to hoard, and we want to uh, not be out in the open. And so uh, an angel of the Lord comes to Gideon and says, uh, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And we talked about the fact that God has a name for you that's probably not the name you'd give yourself. That he sees you different. He sees your potential. He sees how he's created you, much like you see in your own kids, right? Or your own, or your own grandkids or your own nieces or nephews. You see so much in them, so much potential, so much like, oh, man. And when they don't live up to it, you know, oftentimes they feel the shame. And you're like, no, man, you can do this, right? That's what good, healthy relationships do. They pull out the best. And so uh, the angel of the Lord says, mighty warrior. And, and, and Gideon has his whole system set up. Like, oh, I don't have any money. I, don't, I come from a poor family. His narrative is all about what dudes would call sandbagging, right? So we, there, he really is better than what he says, but he just wants to protect his ego, protect himself, protect his stuff. And so he says, I'm just the smallest. No one can use me. And then he says this, which is really odd. He says, hey, that messenger came by. Remember all those signs and wonders he talked about? How come we don't see those anymore? 
angel of the Lord? That's a good question for you. Why don't we see those miracles anymore? And you get this indication that, that, that Gideon's really into kind of circumstance and like security. And so uh, the angel of the Lord says, uh, you're going you're gonna, to you know, save Israel. Uh, Yahweh's going to save Israel through your hand. And he says, hold on one second, let me prepare a meal for you. Because Gideon at this point still does not know. Gideon worships three gods at this point. He worships Asherah, Baal, and Yahweh. Whichever one's going to serve him the best and help him out of his situations, that's the one. We do this all the time, don't we? Is money going to save me? Oh, no. Are my relationships going to save me? Oh, no. God, save me. <laughs> right? And so we do this. We do this. We're no different than Gideon. And so um, he brings out this meal. And, uh, and we start to get this idea, like maybe Gideon isn't as poor as we thought because he brings out a goat and, and is happy to slaughter the whole goat and give it to this guy and an ephah of flour, which makes like eight to ten bread cakes. Like it's kind of a big deal. And so he gives it to, to the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord takes his staff and zap, just bam, whoosh, off it goes. And then the angel of the Lord, like we said last, you know, two weeks ago, the I dream a genie, and then he's gone. And so, so now, now he's there and he says, alas, I'm going to die because I saw the angel of the Lord. And then a voice from heaven says, nah, you're going to be fine. Don't worry about it. I'm with you. Okay. So this should be all Gideon needs to wreck shop. This should be all the things he needs. You and I would say, if we heard this, if this happened to us, oh my goodness, I'd be so spiritual. If, the, if I heard an audible voice from the Lord. Okay. And so, uh, God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go tear down your dad's uh, uh, Baal altar, cut down his Asherah pole, and prepare a proper altar. And what we talked about was this idea that sometimes things in our life just need a sledgehammer. You just got to tear them down. Stop fussing with it. Stop saying, I'll, I'll, I'll get to it when, or this is going to happen, or if this changes, or stop doing that. Just get rid of it. You, you know what God wants you to do. Just get rid of it. And so we talked about that. We talked about the time it takes to build a proper altar in our lives and how we, can't, we shouldn't get frustrated when things in our life, discipleship and all those things take time. They do take time. And so he does that and the, the, the people in the city want to kill him because they, they, he did that. And, and basically he was given this name, Jeroboam, which means let Baal contend with him. And so this is kind of this dual personality we see in Gideon throughout the whole story. We see him sometimes called Jeroboam. We see him sometimes called Gideon. Sometimes it'll say Jeroboam, that is Gideon, like the author thinks we're dumb. But the authors of the Bible don't think we're dumb. They're trying to make a point. And so uh, all of a sudden, so he does that and God says, okay, blow the trumpet. Let's get the people together. Let's go after those Midianites. There were 120,000 of them in the valley. And then the, he blows the trumpet, 32,000 dudes show up, right, which is a big number, except there's 120,000 Midianites. So everybody has to kill four guys. That's, that's the math I did. That's not in the Bible. That's just me doing extra research as a seminary graduate. So four, four people they, they got to kill. And so God says, um, uh, so, so that's the number. And Gideon says, man, I got to make sure. But here's the problem what Gideon does, and this is what we talked about last week. Uh, Gideon, or two weeks ago, Gideon says, um, not, not that I, he doesn't say, I don't know what to do, so I'm going to put out a fleece so you, I know what to do. Like, like we do this sometimes as Christians. We call it setting out a fleece, but that's not what it is. We say, God, 
I don't know if I'm supposed to take this job or not. I don't know if I'm supposed to marry this person. I, I need a sign from you. I want to do what you want me to do. If this happens, then, it's, it's encoding, it's an if-then statement. If this happens, then I'll do it. And, and we're just trying to get from God. That's not what Gideon does. Gideon says, if you're going to do what you promised, which is frowned upon, by the way, don't, don't say that to the Lord, then, then make this fleece wet and the ground dry. And so at that point, I think, well, Gideon now is dead. God's going to punish him, and that's, don't do that. Don't test. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, do not put the Lord your God to the test. It's like one of the biggest things you're not supposed to do. It's like pretty clear in the Bible. He does it, and God says, all right, and he does it. And then Gideon says, eh, if you could just do it again, but reverse it this time. And now I'm thinking, well, Gideon just, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen to him. God does it. But then God says, okay, now I got something for you, Gideon. You got too many men. And so, Gideon, so he says, tell anyone who's scared to go home. There's 32,000 dudes there. 22,000 go home, <laughs> right? Which I would have been one of them. I'm just being 100% honest. I'd have been like, sweet, I get an out. Like, it was from the Lord? Cool, right? And so uh, now there's 10,000. Now everybody has to kill 12 people, Okay. And so now it's up, but that's okay. 12 is probably doable. And so uh, God says you still have too many people. And he does this like weird like test of everybody go to the river and drink. And then the certain people, if they lapped like a dog or if they knelt down. And it's just weird. It doesn't have any spiritual significance other than God just wanted to figure out a way to whittle it down. And he got it down to 300 Lappy dog men, okay? And that's what it is. Now everybody has to kill 400 men. So forget it. That's not going to happen. It's just not, not going to happen. And so Gideon, uh, they give Gideon another sign. And, and so Gideon says, okay, here's the plan. And they make up the, some torches and some trumpets to make it look like there's a whole bunch of them. They light the torches. They blow the trumpets. And all the Midianites start killing each other because they're all from different clans and different tribes. And they've invited other peoples into this whole thing of raiding Israel. And they all start killing each other. And Gideon says, here's what you're going to say. For the Lord and for Gideon. And we talked about the shift that happens when we have this rest in God that sometimes then we want to use that to our own advantage. We talked about that last week. And so uh, that's where we're at. Gideon loses his mind. He starts chasing after the kings. He wants his little boy to kill one of the kings to kind of show, hey, we're like, all, you know, we're about that life. I don't know what he's trying to do, but that's kind of the idea is like he's just bringing his son into it. And then he kills all the men in this one town, like Israelites, like, he, he, he's losing his mind. So here's where we find him this morning, is the final part of the series. Oh, and just real quick, um, next week, uh, you guys don't want to miss next week, because I got a buddy, Terry Beasley, who uh, leads uh, an international men's ministry. He's coming to preach. Uh, he's a good friend of mine. You do not want to miss this dude. He's awesome. Uh, and so, anyway, um, so this is where we find Gideon. And... Um, he says, uh, the, the people say to Gideon, watch, rule over us, you, your son and your grandson, because you have saved us from the hand of Midian. Uh-oh. <laughs> that's, that's not the case. It was Yahweh that saved him through Gideon. But Gideon has somehow set up this narrative 
where he's starting to get all the attention. Now, what Gideon says next sounds really spiritual, okay? Here's what he says. But Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. So it sounds like, wow, Gideon's probably, you know, it's like he's getting, getting down to it. Now, maybe he's scared to rule them or whatever, but he says this other really spiritual thing. He says this other really spiritual thing. He says this. The Lord will rule over you. <sighs> sounds like Gideon got it, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound so spiritual? You ever meet anybody who over-spiritualizes everything? Those people drive me crazy. And I'm a pastor. I, I, I was talking to this pastor one time. And I said, uh, I said, at my church, what we do is, and he said, hold on, brother, which already was an indication this was not going to go good. Okay. <laughs> He says, hold on, brother. I said, yeah, what's up? He says, it's not your church. It's the Lord's church. And my bro, I'm going to punch you in the neck right now. <laughs> like pastor on pastor crime. Like I, I'm like, what, what is that? And, and you, you, you ever meet anybody like that? Don't they drive you crazy? I, 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 I can't stand it. And so here's Gideon. And you're thinking, oh, this is so spiritual. Gideon, oh my goodness. Let the Lord rule over you. But I wonder... If Gideon knew the rules of kingship that God had set up in Deuteronomy, now you might say, John, you're reading way too much into the Bible right now. Nothing indicates this whatsoever. But I just want to read you out of Deuteronomy. God tells the people of Israel, look, if you can't stand it and you just have to have yourself a king like all the other nations, fine. But here's the criteria. And he goes through a whole bunch of criteria. They have to copy the, uh, the word of the Lord. They have to review it every day. They have to do all these different criteria. So when, when Gideon says, let the Lord rule over you, it sounds a lot like, to me, let Baal contend with him. Let Yahweh take care. I don't have time to be ruling over you. Let Yahweh rule over you. Now, for Yahweh to rule over them, where's the law? Where are the priests? Where's the sacrifice? Like, he doesn't set anything up. He doesn't talk about anything. He just says basically, eh, we'll let Yahweh. That's how I read it. Now watch what it says in Deuteronomy. This is the king. He must not take many wives. Just keep that in the back of your mind. Or his heart will be led astray. <laughs> no doubt. He must not accumulate large amounts of, of silver and gold, right? So these are some of the criteria that happens when you're a, a king. And so you say, well, that was really awesome for, for Gideon. Let Yahweh rule over you. I, I'm just poor little Gideon. But I, I do just have one little request, just one tiny thing. I mean, since we're talking about me ruling over you and everything. Uh, he said, uh, I do have one request, this tiny little thing, that each of you give me an earring. Well, from the... From the plunder of the battle I led. Remember that? Just one earring. That's it. It was custom of the Ishmaelites to wear gold earrings. So I just, I just, just get me one of them earrings from each of you, right? You know, if I said to you, that, you said, John, oh, oh my goodness, you're, you know, you're such a great pastor. We'll follow you to the end of the river. Oh, no, no, that's okay. That's okay. Just, just, uh, you know, if I, if I could just get a hundred bucks from each of you, <laughs> that'd be cool. Right? You'd go, what? <laughs> what? Right? But they're cool with it. They say, they answered. We'd be glad. To give, give them. So they spread out a garment. Each of them threw a ring and a splendor onto it. Now, knowing what I know about Gideon, who said he was poor, and yet he had uh, two prized bulls and a herd of cattle and ten servants that helped him 
tear down Baal's altar. Something tells me in the scripture that this dude knows how to play the game. Right? And so he says he puts his carpet out. And, and so when you do the math, it's just the earring from each person. $1.1 million is what Gideon raked in that morning. That's not bad, Gideon, right? Now, you say, John, that, that's kind of, I don't know. I mean, do you think he really knew the Deuteronomy? I don't know. I don't know, but as we begin to see how Gideon moves along, I start to see a whole bunch of little alarm bells that go off in my mind because, because I've done everything Gideon has done so far. I've asked the Lord for a sign when I knew what he wanted me to do. I've made him try to perform. Hey, God, if you would do this. I've bargained with him, like with my son's uh, disability. Like, hey, if you take away that, I'll do this, right? Like, what, what are you doing, bro? And I, I've done all this. I've been insecure. I've, been, I've, I've, I've lived in poverty, and so I've been uh, really nervous about church finances and finances in general and been like, how can we make sure everything is okay? And that became my security. I've done all these things. So maybe I'm just projecting myself onto Gideon, but as we see what happens in the next few uh, uh, verses, maybe not. Maybe Gideon is actually uh, a type of us. I believe this story really happened, and I believe all of the things in the Bible are, are all true and all of that. But I, I wonder why his story was in the Bible. And later on, and we'll, uh, we'll see this in just a little bit, Gideon is mentioned in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, which as Christians, because we have to name everything, we call it the hall of faith, okay? It starts off with faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the uh, 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 things not seen, the assurance of things not seen, whatever. Somebody's smart. Over-spiritualized for me, brother. Okay, come on. Uh, and so, so it's like, it's, like this, it's setting up like what faith looks like. And he's mentioned in there. How, how could he be mentioned in there? Well, we'll see that in just a little bit. So he says, we'll be glad to give them to you. They give him $1.1 million. Uh, and so here's what Gideon does. This is awesome. Gideon made the gold into an ephod, which is this priestly vest that should have been used for the priest. It should have been something worn to bring glory to God. It should have been something to sanctify the service that was happening at that time. So Gideon takes this thing, he makes this kind of God-like Vests, like what you would normally see in real. It's, a, it's an imitation of what God would have the priests wear. It's a substitute of that. that. Gideon takes the thing that makes him secure. Money, the gold, the idea. Remember he says, I won't be your king. Because that's not what makes Gideon secure. That has a lot of risk with it. Kings get stabbed in the neck, right? I mean, kings, kings get judged. Kings get, uh, it's a bunch of, it's a lot of work. He says, no, 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 I'm going to take my money. I'm going to take my money and I'm going to make a little substitute garment out of that. Now watch what he does. Well, here's what happens. Uh, he, 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 oh, yeah. 
he, he makes it into a gold ephod, which he placed in Ophrah, his town. Now listen to what happens. Gideon is in Ophrah, is where the Asherah pole was, and Baal was, right? The Baal altar. And then he says, knock those down and put a proper altar to Yahweh. And now it feels like Gideon's like, yeah, Baal and Asherah, we don't need that. Here's my ephod now. And that's what's going to be in Ophrah. All Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it. So, <laughs> this is so common. They cry out to the Lord. Please, God, we, we're sorry for the Amorite gods. We, we shouldn't have done that. Please bring us some relief. Bring us some relief. And then God comes and brings the relief. And we say, thank you for your services. We are no longer in need of them. We've got the golden ephod, which essentially worships the act of what God does rather than worshiping God. And oftentimes, if we are not careful in our spiritual lives, especially in our churches, we will end up worshiping what God does rather than who he is. That ephod that he made out of gold represented an act of God, not who God is. That's, I can go around, churches are very uh, guilty of this oftentimes. There'll be a great movement in a church, a great thing that happens, and, 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 and God did it, and people are coming to Christ, and there's revival, and there's all these great things. And then we end up just trying to replicate that again over and over and over instead of seeking the one who brought revival. So it became a snare to Gideon and his family. <clears throat> now, Gideon had seven sons of his own. What you think? <clears throat> we had a gentleman come up here on this very stage and say he couldn't even remember the name of his one son, okay? So uh, I'll, just, I'll just play him, bro. I'll just play him. I, I, yeah, I, I can't remember anything, so you're, you're not even playing. So this dude had seven sons, right? And so how do you keep track of all those dudes and, you know, all this stuff? Okay, okay. First of all, I'm just playing with you. Gideon did not have seven sons of his own. All right, let's look at Gideon. He had 70 sons of his own. Now, I'm not a biology major. I'm fairly certain that if you're married to one woman, that's physically impossible. Just from the time frame, unless she's really old. For he had many wives. Oh, wait a second. What was that one thing in Deuteronomy we read? What's the king not supposed to do? Take many wives and take, get lots of money. Gideon has lots of wives and has lots of money. Do you kind of see where I draw that conclusion now? That Gideon didn't want to be king because it was just going to get in the way of his gods, right? His new gods. His concubine, okay, now you're like, bro, you got, okay, anyway, that just sounds complicated, but who lived in Shechem, also bore him a son whom he named Abimelech, okay, whom he 
named Abimelech. You know what Abimelech means? My father is king. Hold up, Gideon. I could almost swear I read just a few verses ago. He said, I'm not going to rule over you. Me or my 70 sons or whatever he was thinking at the time. No, 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 no. Let, let Yahweh deal with you guys. I got my own thing to do. I got an ephod. I got this thing. I got my life set up. I don't have time to be ruling over Israel. I don't have time to bring people to the heart of their heavenly father, to set up a priestly system, to set up a system where we follow God who led us out of Egypt and now led us through the Midianites. I got, I got all these wives. I got a concubine. And he names his son from the concubine. My father is king. <laughs> his due. No sooner had Gideon died, the Israelites began prostituting themselves to the Baals. So forget about the ephod. They set up Baal Bereth as their God and did not remember the Lord their God who had rescued them from the hands of the enemies on every side. At least the writer of Judges kind of got the story back right on track again, right? It wasn't Gideon. It wasn't Jeroboam, that is Gideon, right? They also failed to show any loyalty to the family of Jeroboam, that is Gideon. I love this writer. Uh, in spite of all the good things he had done for them. Now, okay. This is where it kind of got me in the text. Like all the good things. Who's writing this? Like Gideon's mom? <laughs> like who wrote Judges? Like I could just picture Gideon's mom going, you know, he's just misunderstood. If you had known him, he had done so many good things for them. Okay, so let's let that stand because I do believe the Bible speaks the truth. So I'm not going to question. So he must have done something. There must have been some stuff. And he ended up in this thing we call the Hall of Faith. Now, this is where I want to switch a little bit from that. But I just want to review for one second before we move on to Hebrews. Everything Gideon did, all the things I mock, are just the pitfalls of human nature when we decide we want the acts of God without the heart of God, when we want the things God provides without getting to know them, this is not just your relationship with God. This is every single relationship you have on planet Earth. If you have a relationship with your boss and it's all about what your boss can get you and how you can act so you can get that bonus or that raise or that promotion, that's an unhealthy relationship. If your kids, if you're raising kids and, and you're just freaked out because they're acting crazy and it makes you look bad. And so it's all about, look, we have to be on our best behavior because, you know, Aunt Meredith is going to be there. And, you know, you know how she get. That, that's an unhealthy relationship. If you're married and it all becomes about what that person can provide for you. All, satisfying your needs. That is unhealthy. How much more with your heavenly father who sent his son to die for you, has done everything, paid the ultimate price, to just get what we get out of him, trying to gather these fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. That's an that a, amazing life. And yet not submit ourselves to his authority 
in every single area. Gideon is me. Now, here's what happens in Hebrews. So Hebrews starts out, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, right? So it, it starts out with this great statement that I should have had memorized, but I, I don't know. I can't remember the second part. Uh, and so he, uh, it starts out with that, and then it just starts going through all these people, right? So um, Abraham, by faith, did this, and, uh, you know, uh, 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 Isaac and Jacob and Noah and Moses, and you're thinking, oh my goodness, these, these pillars of faith, these great people, these great men of God, famous. I mean, we've been studying their lives and all these things until you know, you've been a Christian for a while and you begin to realize, wait a minute, these were flawed men and women. These were men and women just like me. Moses <laughs> didn't even make it into the promised land. He, he got an, his anger issues stopped him from be, getting all the way to the finish line. Noah, right? Noah builds the ark. It's awesome. Good job, Noah. And he saved his family and, and giraffes and however it all worked. And, you know, they all, the water's receded and he goes, and then he gets drunk. Like, but I guess his first act as a, as a free person, right? He gets drunk. I, I mean, just go, go, through, go down the line. Abraham, yeah, he act of faith. He left his family and he went on to find a new land and all this kind of stuff. And then lied and said that his wife was his sister and almost got his, sis, his wife married to another king. King's like, bro, what are you doing? Right? And so where we see it in Hebrews is this. The, the writer is just going on. He's just trying to give all these examples. And he says, what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon. There's, there's our man. Barak, Samson. You ever read the stories of Samson? What's the story of Samson, right? Uh, he got the Philistines. Lot, lots of really wacky stories of Samson, right? But Samson was so flawed. Like if you read the story, Jephthah, David. David David's family ended up just completely jacked up. Samuel, he was actually cool the whole time. And the prophets, who by faith, listen to this, conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Man, you read that, what we call hall of faith. I call it the hall of of flaws, that every time, every time one of these people took God at his word, it went great. Every time. It's almost like the hall of faith is the hall of remembering when you do it right. <laughs> it's like all these men and women, they, when they did it right, when they trusted in who God was and they took him at his word, and, and they followed his character, and they trusted him. It went great. And every time they turned the mirror, uh, like they just were looking at themselves and trying to, trying to do it themselves and connive and move things around, it went bad. Hebrews goes on to say this. It's amazing. Goes through the hall of faith, a hall of faith and flaws or whatever you want to call it. And it says, hey, you guys, or therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us throw off every encumbrance 
and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let's run with endurance the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising his shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What conclusion the writer of Hebrews comes to is like, look back at all these people. Study them. I could picture, I don't think it's theologically accurate that, 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 that Abraham is looking down on us, right? right? Like, I think he's busy worshiping Jesus. But, but the, the idea is that you would have Gideon sitting in the stands. And as you're running and you begin to veer off course, he would go, hey, don't do that, bro. Don't do that. I did that. It, it's a false God. It doesn't work. It, it, it doesn't work. Uh, worrying about yourself, self-preservation is a, is a bad way to run the race. You could picture Moses as you're running and you're getting angry. And he goes, no, listen, man, you don't need to get angry. God's got it all in control. I'm telling you right now, yelling from the stands. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, all these people who've run the race before us, let's throw off every encumbrance. Let's not go after those other gods. And the sin, which like so easily entangles us, we just get messed up. And let's run with endurance. It Build a proper altar, God says, in the story of Gideon, which takes time. And it takes trip-ups. It takes mistakes. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfected, the one, the only one who ran the race perfectly from birth to death. That's our example. That's our king. That's the one we worship. As the worship band comes back up, I want to tell you just real quick, that guy Abimelech, my father is king, his mom was Gideon's concubine. He goes back to Shechem. And uh, he says to his people, because, you know, Gideon has all his wives, and he's in Ophrah, and he's got his 70 sons, and they're all chilling. You know, they got the ephod, and everything's going great. And uh, Abimelech goes back to his town, and he goes, hey, what would you rather have? 70 people ruling over you or just one? They're like, oh, man. Goes to his uncles, everybody, and yeah, oh, you know what? It'd be better to just have one. He goes, okay, cool. He goes into Ophrah, and he kills every single one of Gideon's sons, all seventy of them. That is the legacy of self-preservation. It never ends the way you want it to end. It never goes the way you want it to go. I want to end with this one last verse out of Proverbs, very famous section of scripture. You probably have it memorized. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Everything you got, all of it. Finances, relationships, all that stuff. And lean not on your own understanding. In other words, don't, you don't need to figure it out yourself. You don't need to set up your little gods and your little wine presses and like eke out a, a, a life. In all your ways, submit to him. He can be trusted. And he will make your paths straight. We're going to take a little bit of time to just uh, 
reflect. And um, now if there's some things that I was talking about, maybe you understand, you know, that there's a God that you set up in your life. Uh, that you know that you've been kind of leaning on something else other than him and you want to just demolish that thing. We, we keep the altar open and you can come and kneel and pray there. That's what I like to do. I like to just kneel down and just, I don't know, for some reason kneeling for me just makes this kind of, uh, it's like this submission. Like I, I don't have to carry it. I don't have to hold on to it. So I like to do that. But, uh, and then we'll have uh, some people praying by the cross and maybe there's something you'd like, really, like some, you'd like to hear someone pray for you. That's why that's there. That doesn't mean that, you know, this is where all the really harsh things are. It might be like, look, man, I just want to pray a blessing. I just want to, you know, prayer that I, I could hear his voice this week or whatever. And so that's what we do. And uh, Tarrant will lead us in another song. Or, and, uh, and so there's just a time of prayer. If you want to stay in your seat, that's fine too. And if you're watching online, maybe you want to take a different posture. You want to just stop kneel down, do whatever. Lord Jesus, thank you for these examples in the Bible of just how you deal with your people in so many different ways. Lord, I pray that we have learned from Gideon, we've learned from uh, these people in the hall of faith, just all the mistakes they made, that we would run with endurance the race that is set before us. In Jesus' name. Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray you go in his peace, and his joy, in his presence, and in his security. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.